0: I think ad-supported or ad-subsidized free or cost-effective internet is absolutely critical to the health of civilization around the globe. I think the ability for information to flow freely or cheaply I think is based on the support of advertising, I think is absolutely mission critical. You're listening to Identity Revolution, a podcast from the consumer identity management experts at Infutor Data Solutions. In each episode, we invite industry leaders for data-driven discussions on all things marketing, analytics, and identity. Join us as we take a deep dive into industry trends, strategies, and the future of data technology.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Infutor Data Solutions Identity Revolution Podcast. My name is Corey Davis. I lead the MarTech, AdTech, and Media Vertical and Ecosystem here at Infutor and very excited to have our guest with us today. I'm saying it, uh, a bit of a legend in the industry and in the ecosystem. He's rolling his eyes. So for our guest today, Tony Katzer, CEO of IAB Tech Lab, been there for about eight months. Joined in July 2021. For the few of you that maybe don't know, the IAB Tech Lab is a global nonprofit R&D consortium that produces and provides standards, software tools, and services to drive growth and efficiency in the global digital media ecosystem. So, a big job. IB Tech Lab focuses on solutions for brand safety and ad fraud identity, data, and consumer privacy, which obviously we're going to talk about here in a minute, ad experiences and measurement, and programmatic effectiveness. Tony has spent 25 years across ad tech and media. And so before joining IB Tech Lab, spent four years at Nextstar, two years at Sinobi, two years at Rubicon Project, now known as Magnite after a couple of acquisitions, Maxifier, MediaMath, Heavy.com, Panther Express, And all the way back at DoubleClick. So, Tony, thank you for joining the podcast. Appreciate you spending some time. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thanks for having me on this uh, lovely Friday afternoon.
1: Absolutely. All right. So to, to get us started, can you give the audience a little bit more depth on your background? Obviously, it's 25 years across a lot of the key players in the space. The background, your career, and what sort of led you through all these twists and turns to end up at, uh, at IAB Tech Lab.
0: Sure. Um, going way back in the early, early days before uh, I ended up at DoubleClick, well, actually it was NetGravity, which DoubleClick acquired. I was over in the sales engineering organization at NetGravity. Prior to that, engineer by trade. My early days in the industry, I was a systems systems engineer and networking engineer and did a fair amount of coding. I probably stopped coding right at right after, I'm trying to remember what version of Java it was is when I stopped coding. I wasn't a great developer, it was rather sloppy, but it worked. I was that guy like, it wasn't neat, it wasn't well commented, but the code worked. We got the job done. Probably memory leaks all over the place. But I ended up at NetGravity shortly before DoubleClick acquired it in 1998, I believe it was. And then I was at DoubleClick for a little over eight years and that's where my career really blossomed out from just engineering into sales engineering. I moved over to the Corp Dev MA team for a while. I was performing a lot of the technical due diligence on myriad double click acquisitions. I moved back, and then I moved back into more of an engineering role, program manager role for things like Double Click Analytics, which we ultimately ended up selling to Omniture back in the day. And then I ended up moving back into the engineering side where I was running engineering for DFP. I was running engineering for reporting, ETL, backend processing, and some components of the DFP UI. DFP had several different engineering leads because people governed or or managed different components. And that was really my experience between NetGravity and DoubleClick is where I got very much immersed into the ad tech and digital media landscape. And then I found, and then I left there, and I went to. You mentioned a company called Panther Express, which was a CDN that competed with the likes of Akamai and Limelight. Fastly wasn't Fastly wasn't around back then, um, but I think the most well-known company today would be Akamai, Fastly, Limelight. We competed there. Uh, that was ultimately sold to South Korea Telecom. So I kind of stepped out a little bit from pure ad tech, but. A CDN is still very much, you know, media centric content, content delivery, you're essentially delivering media at the end of the day. So I stepped out of the day to day of like pure ad tech, and then moved back in through my stints at heavy and I was at the travel ad network for a period and then I jumped over to MediaMath and really helped launch the terminal one platform. I know it's not branded that anymore, but the MediaMath mm-hmm. DSP got that off the ground. When I got there, there were early designs, but there was no like real functional platform. So built the team around it and built the product organization, the technology organization around it and got that launched. And then was it left there to Maxifier, which was a publisher optimization technology that integrated deeply with DFP as it was known back in the day. And then from there ended up at Rubicon project before it was called Magnet. I was there pre-IPO and I ended up running the buyer cloud and worked on, really worked on the orders platform, the first instantiations of the DLID concept. We stood those things up at Rubicon Project, worked with some phenomenal people there. Met some great people that I'm friends with to this day in the industry. I had a very fortunate experience there. And after that went to Sonobi. I was intrigued by the developments in header bidding. And I thought header bidding was going to be a big wave of the future. I was right. It has become, you know, really has become the solution of the day. And this was before Prebid. Prebid was just starting to come into to its own right around that time. And then I was there pre and post IPO. And then from there, sorry, that was Sonomi, not Rubicon Project. And then from there, I went to NextStar, as NextStar was standing up its digital efforts to look for digital assets to acquire and integrate into their television business. And I was there for about four years. And I was a little bit on on an island at NextStar. You know, as much as I was engaged with the digital media ecosystem. My function was primarily corp dev, and I would engage opportunistically as we would look at acquisition targets. So I wasn't as deeply engaged as I am now at TechLab, and that's what really drew me to TechLab, was the opportunity to really get back deep into my roots in digital media, ad technology, is one of the things that attracted me to getting ending up at TechLab.
1: Got it. Got it. And what's the very high level, what's the pitch, IB TechLab? What do you... What are you pushing out and, and sort of like, what are you working on with the industry? What's the pitch for IB Tech Lab?
0: We are the global technical standard setting body for the digital advertising ecosystem. We are distinct from IAB. Tech Lab was spun out of the IAB, I believe it was eight years ago this year. Okay. I think at some point in 20, I guess I would put it in 2014. I believe that's when Tech Lab was spun out. We have our own governance and bylaws. We maintain our own board. So we do share some back office functions with IAB in terms of HR, finance, things of that and some IT office space. But we are distinctly and separately governed. We have a board of 34 board members today. We work across 40, more than 40 countries. So we partner with IABs and other trade organizations around the globe. We have over 3,000 participants across t- over 20 working groups, and those working groups run from... You named some of the key initiatives, everything from privacy, identity, and addressability. We steward the OpenRTB protocol. That's our tech lab initiative. That's a key tech lab initiative. The VAST standard, taxonomy, technical rich media standards and specifications. And that all falls across our over 20 working groups. And we've got, like I said, more than, I think we're up to about 3,250 participants around the globe within those working groups. I think we're approaching about 800 companies that are tech lab members so very robust, rich participation across the globe. Our board members range from everyone from Amazon to TikTok to T-Mobile to folks like Ground Truth, who's a recent board member, Pubmatic, Hearst, NBC Universal, Viacom, CBS. So it's a rich mix of publishers. Frankly, I'd like more. I'd like to have a few more media companies on the board, platforms, ad tech companies. T-Mobile was also a recent board member, we were excited about that because it's bringing a nice, it's bringing a mobile carrier to Tech Lab. So it's a global board of directors, Corteo's on our board out of France. So it's a global board of directors and we work with the board and our working groups to set technical standards around everything from privacy, addressability standards, like I said, the RTB protocol, yeah. And more and working with our board sets our charter and what we're going to work on for the year. We present that to the board annually. If they vote on it, they have direct input into it. And then we bring those initiatives to our working groups and it goes through a working group process of many iterations because we're developing standards. Standards inherently are somewhat of a slower process. And we, then we release those standards to the industry for public comment. And after that public comment period, we then final the standards. Those standards are final. We're not the internet police. We're not the digital advertising industry, internet police. We can't force adoption of our standards. Our standards are adopted based on their merit. If, if they don't have the merit, they don't get adopted. We have some instances of that where OpenRTB 3.0 has not been widely adopted, unfortunately. Vast 4.0. I think there has been very slow adoption. So there are some things that just haven't had the merit or either ahead of their time, perhaps, or the business case hasn't been made to adopt those things. But then there are other things that are very heavily adopted, our Open Measurement SDK, which standardizes and standardizes and normalizes viewability across multiple devices. It's launched in mobile. That's installed approximately across 3 billion devices across the globe. So we've got very rich adoption of the Open Metric SDK because there's this clear value case to have standardized viewability metrics within the mobile ecosystem. We'll also be launching that across CTV in Q2 of this year.
1: Got it. Okay, so you said a lot there. So I think you said 800 member companies. We're approaching 800, yeah. I think you said 40 countries. Yeah, we're in over 40. So one of these focus areas is this identity, data, and consumer privacy piece, which has a very wide range of regulations, of consumer sentiment, of players in the ecosystem across, I would imagine, those 40 countries. Mm -hmm. How do you handle that? What is the IAB Tech Labs approach? to that topic, to identity, to privacy. My take is, hey, like, we need to listen to the consumer. They're screaming pretty loudly, while at the same time balancing that against marketing and advertising matters. It drives the economy. So what's your specific position? How are you handling it? What is the IB Tech Labs approach to trying to solve this? Just very broadly across that whole wild and crazy world of
0: identity and privacy. Sure. You touched on some key things there. So in terms of Tech Lab's position, we don't take a very vocal position. Tech Lab's job here is, again, to put together the technical standards that then govern or that then support or in, in, in many cases enforce business or policy standards that are set either by the industry or governments around the globe. Like that's the purpose of tech lab. So I do have a position that I think ad supported or ad subsidized free or cost-effective internet is absolutely critical to the health of civilization around the globe. I think the ability for information to flow freely or cheaply I think is based on the support of advertising, I think is absolutely mission critical. And I think the ability to, leverage data and be able to better target consumers versus other legacy forms of media is what's given rise to the digital channel being the largest channel in any in most advertisers' budgets around the globe. And that's what's given rise to a largely free or cost-effective internet experience for consumers. So I think we very much need to Grapple with privacy, consumer privacy, and ensure that consumers are providing consent to use their data. We are protecting that, we are guarding that data with our lives and making sure that it's not compromised either egregiously or maliciously. So I think we have to protect consumer privacy, listen to government regulators, but at the same time, maintain some form of addressability. And that's the balance. I don't think you can just throw out, frankly, I don't think you can just throw out targeting or attribution. That's some of the lifeblood of the internet and our experiences. And if you remove some of those things, it's going to lead to a worse consumer experience. How are, how are advertisers going to frequency cap without any form of identifier? You're going to just see the same ad over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I think finding the balance between maintaining consumer privacy Getting consent in a way that's clear and concise, I think consent is a very tricky issue. The dialogue boxes that pop up are, I think that they're well-intentioned, but it's difficult for a consumer to look at that and say, wait, how many vendors are using my data? And Mm -hmm. consent into that. It's like the fine print on like a car rental contract. Who's really reading that? So I think it starts with consent. And then I think even more importantly than that, I think it, it then moves into data security and privacy preservation. That can then be used for either anonymous identifiers across the internet that can't be backed in any sort of PII, or if not, that it maintains some form of addressability that supports, again, continued advertiser support, it's funded or advertiser subsidies of a uh, maintaining a cost-effective internet for all to use. Yeah, that's
1: a big one. And I feel like it's...
0: It's an existential one.
1: It's incredibly imperfect. Like, so... Is it a technology solution? Is it a government solution? Is it a consumer education solution that helps get these two things together? Because clearly we're, we're in a spot where a small portion of consumers sort of express this very, I don't want you to have my data and that's not okay. And I'm versus the ad tech versus advertisers, versus media, versus all these companies that live on it. There's just no easy solution. How do we get across that bridge, I guess?
0: You mentioned a couple of the key key components. Yeah, I think it's policy. I think it's government policy or regulator policy. I think it's technology that then can enforce that policy that can then deliver audit and compliance against that policy. I think at the end of the day, it's about trust. I think it's about having policies and having technologies that are aligned with those policies that achieve consumer trust. I think we as an industry have a trust issue, frankly, and we need to either reestablish that trust by working with governments around the world and putting together technology frameworks that support their definition of consent, support their definition of privacy, support their definition of data security. And those are two key distinctions. We keep mashing privacy and data security together. They're actually two very different things that are heavily commingled. So I think it's a combination of policy. I think governments should be involved. And I think technology frameworks that adhere to those standards. Now governments represent the people, right? In most areas around the world. And I think that when you talk about the consumer, I think there's certainly a limited amount of think of consumer education that needs to occur but I also think consumers are I mean I'm a consumer you're a consumer people listening to this are consumers we are so busy in our daily lives how engaged is the average consumer going to be on this and I don't I think not very frankly so I think we need to be good stewards of this ecosystem on behalf of those consumers. Spike Lee said, do the right thing. He made a movie about it, right? We need to do the right thing. So I think there's some consumer engagement education that can happen. I think that happens through our, I think that happens through our communications with government partnerships where we can find those with local and federal governments. I I don't know if direct consumer education necessarily solves for this.
1: I agree. It is very much an existential, issue with no clear and straightforward path. So yeah, that gets me to my next question of, okay, so in ad tech land, there's identity businesses, there's data businesses, including Infuture. What's the prediction on the three to five years out as we watch the balance of these two things of this sort of consumer sentiment and I think, pretty fair concerns that the general public has versus the data companies that support so much of the ecosystem. What's your personal prediction of how that evolves over the next two, three, five years?
0: I think we're going to see more governance. I think we're going to see more regulation of how data is used. I think we're going to see clearer definitions of what is consent, and look that may that may default to an opt out model i don't depending on the region you know there's gdpr in europe and the dpas in in those respective countries we now have cpra in california ccpa ccpa was so 2021 now cpra in california We now have similar privacy rulings now in the state of Virginia, Colorado. There are others on the floors of various state congresses, state state senates across the United States. There are DPA like structures forming in Japan, Brazil. There's talk of that now in India and other regions. So. It's going to remain incredibly frothy because the definition of consent, the definition of privacy is going to remain a very regional issue in, Mm -hmm. I think, over the next several years. So how we solve for that is we build a framework. We establish a protocol to manage the governance of consent and privacy across the globe. And that's something that Tech Lab is working on right now. We call it the global privacy platform. And it's really how do you manage consent across these different regions. The definitions of those are very different. So that's something we're working on that a lot of our customers or a lot of folks in the industry that use this technology, the constituents are global media companies, global brands. They, they operate across these markets. So providing a holistic framework to be able to manage consent and privacy in those markets is something that we're actively, actively working towards, but it's going to get harder, not easier over the next several years without question.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we're going to pivot here to some other questions in a second, but I'm going to pause and say Infutor has hosted about 25 episodes of this, sh- of this show by now. That was the single best CCPA is so 2021. That was the single best data joke we've had. So, far. so congratulations. We'll send you a prize. Um, that was solid. All right. So let's pivot to more broadly away from identity and data and, and, and that topic into just more broadly the whole ecosystem the whole thing. You've been in the space, around the space for 25 years. How has it changed? How has it stayed the same? And then most broadly, like, where are we going?
0: That's a good question. I mean, how it's changed. I think there have been th- three watershed moments in our industry's history, and we're living living—we're living number three right now. The first was the invention, deployment of the ad server. I mean the early days i mean anyone who's been in it long enough i mean people used to hard code i remember uh they were hard coding ads on the page so i think the invention of the ad server was was watershed moment number one i think watershed moment number two was the ability to actually trade media i think was watershed moment number two and i think watershed moment number three is what we just talked about i know you wanted to get off the identity and, and privacy track but that's watershed moment number three it's an existential challenge and i think challenge is the key word not crisis. It's a challenge, and I think it's a challenge that the industry can rise to if we agree to work together, if we agree to adopt standards that protect consumer privacy and also drive compliance and enforcement for bad actors that violate consumer privacy and are surreptitiously sharing data when they shouldn't be. So I think that is the watershed moment we're in now. How it has changed is automation, and that's an ongoing thing. You know, I remember the early days of the insertion order version 1.0 and just everything from a trafficking perspective, a reporting perspective, campaign execution, just automation has is what's really driven the evolution of this industry. So that's been a huge change. And I think it's an ongoing change. Where it's going, that's a great question. I think where it's going is automation will continue. I think the growth of CTV is another, I think CTV will be like mobile. We'll be in the year of CTV until we really are in the year of CTV. Linear is still a massive, massive industry. There's still tremendous audience on linear. We do like to navel gaze in our industry and be like, and think linear is going to be out of business over the weekend. That is far from true. But over time, let's say over the next decade, I think CTV becomes the predominant viewing medium for folks that watch TV. CTV just becomes TV again. It's just TV. It's not even CTV. It's no longer delivered over coax or satellite; it just comes over IP. So, I think that's going to be one of the big changes we're going to see over the next decade. Um, and I think that's going to be that's going to be a rather turbulent, frothy change. A lot of legacy players that are adopting and evolving to keep up with the CTV wave, to actually get ahead of the CTV wave, and then, frankly, there are legacy players that have their head stuck in the sand and may not make it. But I think that's going to be perhaps obvious for your your listeners. Some folks may be like, yeah, no kidding, CTV is be huge. But I mean, it, it is. And I think less technical, live sports is a big deal. The NFL renewed its agreement with the major networks. And I think that buys them, frankly, a lot of time to continue to adapt to the CTV wave. But you have to wonder if that's gonna get renewed after this 10-year agreement is up. So I think sports has a major impact on how quickly this all happens and who's actually carrying these sports. So I think that's a major impact to how quickly viewers move over from linear to connected television.
1: Got it. Love it. We'll check back in, in, in 10 years and see how you did <laughs> we're coming up on time here a little bit. So I guess personally, outside of this media ad tech world that we both know and love and spend a lot of time on outside of your day job, what do you, what are you spending time on? What are you reading? What are you watching? What are
0: you you Yeah, I don't know if I have a job with Tech Lab. I mean, one of the reasons I took the role was because there are big problems, big challenges, and there's, there's big opportunities for Tech Lab to address for the industry. And I remain passionate about this industry. It's put food in my table for 25 years. So there's not a lot of time out of that. Let's put it this way. If I could have done this podcast from somewhere in the woods with a campfire behind me, that's where I would do it. So Camping, fly fishing, hunting, those are things I very much enjoy outside of outside of work. What am I watching? I'm heavily engaged right now in Ozark. I'm just finishing up the first half of the final season, so spending a lot of time there. I think it's been a phenomenal NFL season. I think we've seen maybe some of the greatest playoff games in, in history, so I've been engaged there, so I'll be watching the Super Bowl, of course, on Sunday. And then what am I reading? I'm reading a lot about AI, the history of AI, the future of AI, how it's going to become a very competitive field between major countries, namely the US and China. This is going to be, I think, the new, maybe some new variant on a Cold War is going to be in the realm of AI. So that's what I've been deeply engaged in is learning more about that. That's where I'm spending my time.
1: Awesome. And I guess last question is, where can where can the audience go to learn more about IB Tech Lab, get in contact with you, connect with you, where do we point the audience?
0: Sure. So www.ibtechlab.com. I don't even know if you got to do the www anymore. You can find me on Twitter. It's my first and last name. So at Anthony Katzer on Twitter, I tweet fairly frequently and you can reach me at my email address, tony at iabtechlab.com. Awesome.
1: Tony Katzer, thank you for joining us for this Episode of the Identity Revolution podcast. Audience, we will see you next time.
0: Corey, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks again for listening to Identity Revolution. For more data driven discussion, subscribe to Identity Revolution on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And for more on how Infutor can improve your data strategy across your entire enterprise, visit infutor.com.